Welcome to the Profitable Accountant Podcast. I'm your host, Reza Huda, practice owner, coach, and mentor to accounting firm owners. In this podcast, I share practical strategies to get new clients, charge higher prices, and build a profitable accounting firm that you're proud of. From time to time, I also interview other accountants doing incredible things so you can learn what's working and take tangible takeaways to implement. Make sure you press the follow button on your podcast player so you get notified when I release a new episode. Now, on to today's session. Hello, hello. Hope you're well and I've had a good start to the day. So today's session is an interview with a an accountant doing great things. Someone I've had on the podcast before and someone I've been working with for the last couple of years who's got some exceptional results. This is the story of an accountant called Tej Gill. Now, if you listen to the podcast for a while, you may have heard Tej before. Tej has been working with me for the last couple of years and has got insane results. And when I talk about insane, I'm talking about doubling his turnover to one5 4 million in the space of just the last two years. So this is going to be a cracking uh, session. If you already, you may have already watched it uh, live because we did it uh, a few days ago, but if you haven't, then strap yourself in and hear what Tej has to say and take some tangible takeaways from it in terms of the actions that he took to get the results that he did to get to a point where now his practice turns over 1.4 million, insanely profitable with him working very few hours in the practice these days, hardly doing any technical work at all. So without further ado, let's get into today's session and I'll see you on the other side. Tej Gill. Hey there, Tej. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Reza. Thank you. <coughs> Amazing crowd from everywhere, all over the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Worldwide audience. Fantastic. That's what I like to see. So, so today's session is, and this is why you're, uh, you've dialed in today to hear what Tej has to say. Another Facebook user from Rainy Kent. Remember, if you're watching on Facebook, oh, that's Michael. Hi there, Michael. Then you'll have to just click the button above for, for me to see your name. So today's session is with Tej. And Ted is going to be sharing with us how he has doubled his practice to 1.4 million turnover in just the last two years. So you're going to hear some gold on this. You're going to Ted is going to share some gems with you. So I hope you're sitting there and taking notes and listening uh, intently with what Ted has to share. Because and there's no doubt if you take on board some of what you hear today. And as always, I'll be asking the questions to guide us, to guide you to, uh, or to guide the um, the guest today, Tej, to give you some gold that you can then go away and start to action, start to implement in your practice to get similar results. Because that's what we're about. We're about helping you to shortcut your journey, shortcut your successes by learning from the experiences of others. So without further ado, I'll stop yapping and we'll, uh, we'll kick off with a short introduction, Tej. Tej, for those of, of the audience that don't know who you are, just give us a brief introduction on you and uh, and your practice, and we'll take it from there. Um, right, brief introduction. Depends how far I go back then to start. So we'll just talk about professional then. So I qualified at KPMG, um, started there in 2006. So it's been uh, 17 years in this accounting kind of game. Um, and I say kind of because it'll come clear why in a second. I started out in their tax team, in the corporate tax team, moved into insolvency and then actually moved into industry for about five years. That was in 2011. So I never actually did what I would call an honest day's accounting work of debits and credits and VAT returns and tax returns and all that stuff until actually I came here in 2017. 
So this firm was actually set up by my father-in-law. And I was you know, fortunate enough to be able to come into a firm that was already set up, already running and already doing well. Um, and yeah, so I joined here in, in 2017. My wife also uh, has been here for about 12 years now. So we have since then really just been working on what we do in the business. But when I first joined, that was when I first did my Honest Days accounting work of debits and credits. <laughs> and tax returns and VAT returns and all of those things, which I know, Reza, you bypassed that because I listened to your podcast from a couple of weeks ago. You bypassed all of that and just went straight to, no, I'm not getting my hands dirty. Unfortunately, I went down the route of, uh, I found you too late. I went down the route of getting my hands dirty and they got very dirty and then eventually started figuring out that kind of knew at the beginning there's a better way of doing this, but never really too certain where and how to start or what to start on because there's so many bits. And, you know, didn't know all those useful phrases then about the journey of a thousand miles with one step, begins with one step and all that stuff. And then, yeah, a couple of years ago, came across one of your webinars. And after that, actually started just tackling it in bits. And over the last two years, we've had some amazing, fortunate enough to have some amazing growth. Hmm. Fantastic. Absolutely. And we're going to delve deeper into, into that and um, break it down into some of the areas that you have worked on to get the results that you have. So kind of let, let's start there. Then, When you joined the firm, what did it look like in terms of kind of number of people, size, makeup? So we get an understanding of what it was like. So clearly, you've gone in and you have transformed it to, to what it is today. So what did it look like first? And then we'll talk about some of the things that you did along the way to get it to what it looks like. Today. Sure. So when uh, in terms of number of people, there were three full time, two part time, and it was very manual. Everything was still very much paper based. There was no there was no cloud kind of um, software or anything like that being used. Our practice management software was essentially an access database. So we did have a database. We got uh, one of the ladies at work here. Her husband's a bit of a computer computer whiz, so he built an access database for us to be able to put dates in there so it wasn't as bad as as just an excel sheet but it wasn't you know it wasn't anywhere near uh, a, a modern accounting practice considering it was 2017 you know zero had been around for a while quickbooks had been around for a while so it was still very much what you would call a traditional legacy kind of practice um so that's a number of people that's what it was like do you say in terms of size as well in terms of, of, of client type and that yeah yeah uh well yeah clients because the firm had been running for 20 odd years actually a lot of companies a lot of clients had joined early on and stayed here the whole time so actually we had this really great pool of clients our biggest client still here now has been here since he started out in business has a group turnover of around 30 million pounds um so you know we got but then all the way you know to you want to say the other end but you got you know your sole trader plumbers and you got small building companies and convenience stores and stuff like that so it's a, it's a real it was a real spread when we came in and there was no real niche or focus on a particular type of industry mm, absolutely okay so let, let's start talking about some of the things that you did to start to bring about some change so i know over the couple of years that we've been working together you've done a lot in each of the four pillars in terms of the the framework that i talk about the pricing the people the positioning and the process so let's start off with the pricing because I know you've got some exceptional results uh, on that front. Mm. What are what was it like in terms of what were the pricing like or not like when you first joined? And yeah. what are some of the things that you did both on the recurring side and the non-recurring side uh, to get some of the results that um, that you have done 
uh, in that short time frame. Yeah. So when we when I first started, there was the the pricing. There was no there was no system. There was no uh, consistency between uh, clients. Yeah, and people would generally just kind of charge the same amount for some people. Fees hadn't changed for maybe four or five years at least, if not maybe more. Um, so it was kind of, it, and it was one of those things that people had been around so long that you kind of that there was this feeling that well you don't really want to increase the price you're still making money and you know why why do it if you don't have to but on the other hand there was also this increasing expectation of what you needed to provide to people and the two things don't marry up right you got to if you're going to increase your service levels and what people expect and responsiveness and all those things then that requires investing in the business and to invest in the business you need to make sure that you're actually generating the right kind of turnover um to cover those additional overheads so and those investment costs so that was the that was the first place to start you know i'd come across your four pillars and the, they all make sense but you have to pick one place to start you can't go for all four you know you have to go an inch wide and a mile deep and and just and pick one and say that's where the change is going to happen if you have yeah, but then people are at different different stages. You have, you know, some firms I know have got larger headcounts that aren't making the money, but actually they could maybe focus then on process because they've got enough people to implement the process, streamline what they're doing, and see a benefit like that. For us, as I said, there was only three permanent, sorry, three full time, two part time. So the headcount wasn't very big. Processes weren't in place. Positioning wise, we were everywhere. So we, the pricing was the logical place to start get that income up invest in another team member and essentially buy the time to be able to work on the other things because i was still involved in doing i'm not going to say that I was, well i'm going to say it, the dirty work um and you know uh, my wife she was doing it as well and so you didn't have that time to step back and a client actually said sometimes you're too busy doing work to make money and he's, he's exactly right. You've got your head down, you're doing things, and you don't realize the, all these opportunities are passing you by. So the pricing was the first place to start. And on that, it was really a case of just getting consistent between them, um, between how you're pricing everyone. So obviously, there's software packages out there which help with it. Each of them have their flaws. I don't really like any of them. I wouldn't say none of them are, are perfect, but they they give you some basis to work off. It's It's better than having no no system in place whatsoever so you know we now use go proposal for compliance pricing and that just allowed you to be consistent and when you're consistent and you go to someone and you say look i am increasing your price it hasn't gone up for so many years um and it is a big jump but when you tell them you're being consistent across everyone and that everyone's getting the same treatment they don't feel as singled out and you get some of that kind of um social press or social proof that look well other people have accepted it and it's just it's only right that you do as well. If I discount for you, then then I should discount for everyone. So it's not it's not something that's um, that's sustainable. So that mm -hmm. was kind of the 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 approach we took was to go pricing first, make it consistent between everyone, explain why we're doing it and why they should accept it, and uh, and make it not almost um, not 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 to the point that they sort of felt they had to accept it but make it clear that it's you know it's a line in the sand it's a principal thing and with this is how how it's going to be absolutely and the beauty about pricing and that's exactly where i started my journey is that when you increase your prices then that additional profit goes straight through to your bottom line you don't mm -hmm. have to incur any additional costs you don't have to expand your team 
it's the same work for more money. And that's why it's the most powerful lever in the profit equation. When you increase your price, it flows straight through you to your bottom line. But I know many accountants are, are reluctant and are a bit hesitant about increasing their pricing. And it all starts with that pricing mindset that often we don't believe we can charge more. We put excuses in front of ourselves to say, Our clients will never pay that much. I'm not worth that much. I'm based in a certain part of the country and therefore I can't possibly charge what accountants in London are charging. So we put all these blockers in front of ourselves. And so therefore the first thing that we need to get over and to build is that is that mindset to give ourselves the confidence in order to be able to go away and start increasing prices. So talk to me a little bit about you talked about the process that you went through, but how did you overcome that in terms of how did you kind of develop that confidence to say, yeah, absolutely, this is what needs to be done. And I'm going to go away and start doing this, regardless of the potential fact that some clients may leave. Because again, that's one of mm. these other um, things that that, uh, that people have in the back of the mind that I can't increase everybody's prices because then all my clients will leave. And so, you know, what 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 do you have to say to that to accountants that may be watching? And if you've got a question on this, and if there's something that is holding you back that you know you need to do it because you've heard me talk about it, you've heard other people talk about it, this is your chance to ask Tej now. So put your questions in the comments. But Tej, talk to us a bit about how you develop that confidence, that pricing mindset to go away and increase the, 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 the prices across the board like you did. I think the 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 switch in mindset really really just comes from actually just 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 starting to do it. When you once you send a couple out and you know there's no mindset switch to actually start. You just have to start. Either you're in the place you need to start or you're not. And if you're putting it off, it's just because you haven't made it a priority to do. If you're making all these excuses about somebody might leave or I don't have time or I need to, it's just not the priority on your list. So maybe you're making enough profit as it is, which is great. But once it becomes a priority, you can do nothing other than just start. And once you start and you get a few people sign up, you start just the, the momentum just starts building. So really what the first thing I did was pick out the ones that I expected to say yes. People that we have good relationships with, that we do a lot for. There's a lot of touch points. You know, be tactical about it. So pick those ones out to start with. Yes, you're stacking the deck in your favor, but it will give you that boost regardless anyway. And you get a few of them under your belt and then you start saying, oh, okay, well, that's gone up by, I don't know, five grand a year. So I can afford to lose these three and, or, you know, however many, you just start playing the game and weighing it up in terms of who's, who's likely to stay, who's likely to go. And you will know who will go, you know, the ones that will kick up a fuss. And generally those are the ones you don't care about going anyway. And the second part then of, of the transition. So the first thing is that you get the, you just have to say, first thing is you got to start. Second thing is you get the momentum going. The third thing is then that you actually, you just start, You the more you do, the more you get better at it. So your your pitch, if you like, becomes more convincing. And you start believing yourself because as soon as people start signing up and, and agreeing to your fee increases, you start realizing that you actually are worth it. There's a guy that I know, completely separate business, but he sort of, he increases his fees in, in jumps quite a bit. He does this sort of package package thing that he sells and he was asked well what made you go from charging nine thousand pounds a year to eleven thousand pounds a year and he just said I, I started feeling like i was an eleven thousand pound a year person i had a package i had a brochure it was actually put it down to the glossy brochure more than anything but he just had he just he just because he knew he could make that nine thousand pound sale he just tried selling one at 11 as soon as it sold at 11 
everything went to 11 because he knew he could do it. He was an 11,000 pound person. Then it was 13,000. Now I think he's going for 15,000. So they just, as you, as you convince yourself by doing, and that's the only real way you can convince yourself to do anything um, is by actually executing because that's where, that's where you start seeing the results. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's spot on. And often we hold ourselves back because we tell ourselves, what if the client leaves? Well, why don't we tell ourselves, change change the thoughts in your head in, instead of saying, what if the client leaves? What if the client stays? What if the client stays and you make that extra money without having to take on any more cost? So we just need to reframe our thinking a little bit and, and take inspiration and motivation from people like Edge who have got results, have done the repricing process to show that it works. And actually, if you, if you do the math and you work out, well, how many clients can I afford to actually leave based upon my price increases? You'll probably find that actually you could afford to lose a lot more clients and have um, still make as much money or more money, but with less work. Yeah, absolutely. And two things on that. One, what you said about the what if they do. Um, so I think it's in the, a, a book called The 12-Week Year. They talk about exactly that. You know, Don't get hung up on the how you're going to do it or the, the the what if the first question to ask yourself is well if it happens what does that mean for me in my business and once you're convinced that that potential scenario is is good enough everything else after that you'll just figure out a way to do it and the second thing there about the what you said about the how many people could leave versus how many stay in the increase i did this last year and i tracked it and i think i got to the point where 42 percent the remaining 42 percent that we hadn't priced or hadn't answered if they left, we'd be around, I think it was 10 grand a year down, 20 grand a year down. So almost half of the clients could go at that point and would still be relatively okay. But in reality, so, how, many, how many actually went? Oh God, not a lot. Less than a dozen. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So yeah, it was, it was, the numbers don't, you know, the numbers don't lie. So, you know, whether you're a person that has to see the statistics for it to work, you can prove it to yourself, do the numbers and, do some hypotheses and scenarios. If you're the kind of person that just acts on blind belief, like like me, then then you will just you, once you start and you get going, you'll just see the results. Absolutely. And how much would you say you added to your GRF just through the repricing exercise? Because I know you went through a process a couple of times where you did this consistently over a period of time. I think you had, you'd kind of turned into a game for yourself as well, leading up to your birthday or something. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. Uh, I, I'd given myself, I think it was just over three months um, between when I started and, and my birthday. And I had set a target of increasing turnover. Um, and yeah, I got it. I got it done by my birthday. Over, but then over that and another cycle, we probably have added at least 25% to the turnover just through doing those repricings and doing it consistently. So now we've gone back to people that were done last year and doing it again. You know, inflation has been a bit of a, I was going to swear there has been a bit um <laughs> a bit excessive recently so you have to you just have to pass it on um you know everyone's struggling but everyone is is passing on price increases so we should be no mm -hmm. different absolutely i think that actually is the other sorry you're doing mindset that was one switch that, that that did happen is that um i think we're too noble as a profession for our own good um we somehow feel that we are above price increases that you know the general laws of business don't apply to professional services they do they really do and and while you think of a client as someone you 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 know you it would be it would be wrong to go and increase their prices then swap the word client for customer 
and you see it completely differently because it is just a business. We provide a product which is peace of mind, comfort, advice, accounts, tax returns, as opposed to a service. There is a, a thing that comes out of it. It's just you can't necessarily touch it and feel it. Mm, absolutely. So there's proof for you that for you listening in terms of what Tej managed to increase. So if you're thinking about, I want to grow my practice, I want to make more money. Often we think that the way to do this is to win more clients, but actually a much faster way of doing this without actually taking on more work, without actually having to recruit more people is to increase your prices. And as you can see there, that 25%, and I think Ted, you were at about what, six, 700 at the time. So yeah. if you're talking 25%, that's adding 150,000 pounds of GRF just through price increases. So have a look at your own numbers. Have a look at where you are turnover-wise. If you're at 100, 200, 300, if you could get a 25% price increase on average across the board, how much extra profit and money would that bring in without you actually having to do more work or going out to recruit? So if you're thinking about expanding or growing or wanting to make more money or more profit, that I'd suggest you know start there and you can see the proof is in the pudding. Fantastic. Okay, so let, let's move on from uh, pricing that. Actually, let's let's move on from the recurring pricing to the non-recurring pricing because I know you have had. Okay, let's touch this one very quickly because that's coming directly uh, from a Facebook user. Who is it? Ali. It's Ali Joel. So, how did you go about doing it? Did you inform the clients with price increases via a letter or via email? I started off by phone call, actually. Um, so the first ones, I said, I tactically picked the ones that would be, because again, if, if, if you have that relationship with them and you explain to them what you're doing, they're in real time on the phone and they can ask questions, you can answer it. That confidence building sort of just, just multiplies because you've got, and, and it helps you form, form answers to questions others will ask, but with someone that you have more of a relationship with. So I actually started off with phone calls with the first sort of dozen or so. And then after that, I would email people to say, expect to expect this to come there. Because, you know, like I said, our clients weren't on anything like this. If they saw this email come through from co-proposals, whatever they use for mail shotting, is they, they would have just deleted it because they would have thought it was a, you know, a spam or, or, or something else. So you had to warm them up to it coming. And so in that warm up email, I took that opportunity to, to explain what was coming and why and then it, and then it was going to them. If it was, you know, if it was big increase, then you'd follow it up with a phone call, or you know, preempt it with a phone call. But then otherwise, it was just, um, it was just using using uh, just an email as a warm up first. I think with there were a few templates res that you had given as well for things like tax returns, small tax returns that weren't going up by much, which you know we just sent them out as they were as well. So it was more than one approach. The first thing was to build your own confidence by. By phone calls and again that depends on the person some people um you know if you if you believe the stereotypical accountant they may not want to pick up the phone and be talking to people about it but it's the best thing you can do because it gives you that feedback of what to expect from the more awkward ones but in a more friendly setting absolutely yeah and, and nobody likes the price increase but you'll find that the reaction you get from people is not as bad as what you think the reaction is going to be in your head because often we kind of build it up in our head and we think that we're going to get clients screaming down the phone at us like really mad that doesn't happen and especially if you're doing it over a face-to-face -face meeting a zoom call or a phone call that won't happen 
it, if you do a big English via an email, you might get some shouty words back on an email. And that's why even I recommend that you, if it's a big increase, you always have a conversation in person or you warn them or do it in a meeting rather than just doing it by email. But if it's a small increase and generally now with inflation when you get eight, 10%, you know, we get letters through the post saying our oh, electricity has gone up by 10%, your phone bill has gone up by 12%. And you accept that because that's what inflation is running at. So if it's an inflation type increase, then you could get away with just doing it by by letter or email. But obviously, for your uh, for the bigger increases, then always better to do it over person uh, in a phone call or a Zoom call. And it's once because the next year, like where we have gone back to people second, you're not calling them again. They they know it's coming. And as long, well, and that as long as you make it clear the first time, this is now annual. This is not now, you know, once a decade. We're going to be doing this every year now. Then afterwards, you don't need to. So. If you don't have, if you don't think you have the time for it, again, it's the prioritizing thing, isn't it? Um, if it's a priority, you make the time, and then you make that call once, and you don't need to keep having that call with the person again and again. Definitely, yeah. When it comes to repricing, wording is important, and actually phrasing your repricing your increases as a service renewal is important because then people get used to it being a renewal of a service, which you are going to be doing at a periodic interval, typically at least annually. So getting into that mode of thinking, just like we renew our insurance, just like we renew uh, other things that uh, uh, our phone uh, contracts and things like that, people need to renew their subscription with us and getting them into that mindset, which then allows you that permission to then rejig the prices in a year's time or even sooner if things have materially changed as well. So wording is important. And uh, yeah, there are templates that uh, are available in the pack if you want to come in. And if you're a member already, you can go and access those and start using those straight away to do your pricing increases. One sec, I just wanted to talk about the accounts and tax preparation software we use. We moved to TaxCalc a few years ago from one of the big players, predominantly due to the huge cost saving. The difference was massive, saving us over £7,000 a year. But aside from that, it's actually a really good product. My team tell me that it's really intuitive, simple to use, and the transition to move to it was painless. TaxCalc is also the most popular choice for accountants in the pack and members of my Facebook group. So if you're looking for accounts, tax production, and practice management software that does everything you need it to without costing a fortune, check out TaxCalc. There's a link in the show notes to learn more. Now, back to today's pod. Okay, let's move on from recurring uh, fees now and talk about non-recurring projects. I know you've got some big successes on that since we started working together. But talk us mm. through some of those, uh, some of that, uh, yeah, some of those projects that um, you have got success with in terms of the approach that you had previously, and then subsequently after you started implementing things like the nine-step pricing framework. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, but I didn't say it in the introduction was that I am actually a, a CTA qualified as well. So one of the things with projects, I, get, I know a lot of people are, get uncomfortable dealing with projects and advising on tax and things like that. Um, but there's a solution for that as well, which I suppose we can come on to later. But projects... Um, Projects are one of those things where there's and and that these the projects are a perfect example of why time based pricing is absolute nonsense for for what we do because someone posted on LinkedIn wasn't it just the other day that you're just incentivizing us to spend as long as long as possible but then when it comes to a project you're just incentivizing us to spend as little time as possible because the value you can generate really quickly is um, is 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 massive we we had one project that. Uh, on the drive from here to Canterbury, 
uh, here being near Dartford to Canterbury, came up with an idea that was worth about £600,000 of tax saving to the client. So, and it didn't take, you know, £600,000 worth of time to afterwards to actually implement it. So, you know, projects are a perfect example of why you do it based on, on value. And I think actually, to be honest, I didn't, we didn't really do much project work until Reservoir came across your stuff because there was not the time I was getting my hands dirty, remember? Um, and so I already, I already had the nine-step framework when it came to do the first few of these projects. And the framework itself, that's the, you know, that's the template that I, that I followed. And you know, kind of, you go through the whole process of building up what the client wants, the impact of it, the, what, you know, the problem they're trying to solve and the cost of that, how your solution helps and everything. And, and when you set it out like that, because you, you end up, you talk about the pain that the client has, the pain they're going to suffer through what they're trying to do in terms of actual cost of tax and everything else. And then how your plan can help alleviate that. And then, you know, they're almost, they're almost willing to sign up there. And then when they see that what you're charging is a small percentage of what they're saving, but it's still a lot more than you would charge if you were to charge on an hourly basis. Um, so the yeah pricing projects the the nine step framework was was the thing I used from the very beginning. But I do know that you know I suppose we didn't do formal projects before that. But people come along and ask a question about you know whatever electric cars. I suppose even that counts as um, as as project work, giving advice on that kind of thing. You, and you would just do it based on time or or add a little bit more depending on what you did for them. But it was that after that happened with the nine step framework, you then start looking at every piece of advice that comes in every question that comes in you start thinking actually you're giving so much here we had now recently where we got around two hundred and twenty thousand pounds back of stamp duty for a client across a couple of different claims and previously you would have just done it on a on a time spent basis or something like that and there was a question in the group what would you charge for for this and is you know the, the only logical thing you can do is a percentage of the time that you um the percentage of what you recover sorry not time percentage of, the, of what you recover and you know, I, I know you've read um, Alex Hormozzi's hundred million dollar offers, isn't it? And in there, he talks about about that kind of thing as well. Make it a no brainer, so you don't if you only charge it if you actually get it back. But then it allows you to push that percentage up. Would you rather make a couple of grand guaranteed or fifteen percent of what you recover on on a on a risk basis? And then you just kind of have your whole system written out of how to do it, and you get one of the team to 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 run through the list anyway. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And what are kind of some of the, the fees that you've got from project based work? Can we share some numbers? <laughs> um, they've been. Yeah. So I have we managed to get into six figures on a few projects um, on four, actually, this year. Uh, okay. And they were EOTs. So employee ownership trust where clients built up their businesses and are now looking at exit and also um, then also demerging sort of joint property businesses as well. And letting people go off on their own merry ways so yeah they've mm. been pretty they've been pretty pretty lucrative and i think it's um it's it's one of those things that you need to you do need to kind of get your 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 feet feet wet with it and then you just you, you get a couple under your belt and then you're just confident in, in going and doing it as long as you have a base understanding the actual legwork can be done by there's plenty of companies out there that will do it on a white label basis um, you know, if you go on LinkedIn and search for accountant tax partners or something, that you, you'll get plenty of people come up. Mm. Absolutely, and and it works so well because at the end of the day, the customer wants a result. 
they don't want to spend time with you just for the sake of spending time with you. What they really want is that result. So if we can demonstrate, well, this is what we're going to, this is the result we're going to get for you. And this is our fee. Then it's easy for them to make up their mind that, that does that fee represent good value for money. And if you've done the work correctly in terms of showing them that, uh, that process of going through what their current situation is and what the impact of not doing anything is versus if they did take your advice and you put, X, Y, Z together, and then the solution that they would get and the tax savings they would realize, then absolutely they would be prepared to pay a percentage of the tax savings that uh, you help them realize, regardless of how long it takes you. They don't care how long it takes you. All they care is about the benefit and the result that they get. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for us, uh, like you said at the beginning, you know, charging by the hour is is crazy because. It's, it's no good for you and it's no good for the client. Clients hate it. Clients hate this uncertainty that comes through charging by the hour. What they want is a result. And it's only fair that we should only charge a client if we get a result. If we don't get a result for them and we've charged them, then actually, you know, that client's not going to be very happy. The client's not going to recommend you. And they'll probably come to you and knocking the door down and maybe even putting a claim against you to say, well, you, you charged me by the hour on all these things. And I didn't actually get the result that you said I would. So, by giving them a guarantee and actually charging them a premium for that guarantee, then you get a better result and the client is happy as well. And that's the beauty about value pricing. Right. It's win-win. It's win for you. It's win for the client. So, yeah. I suppose absolutely. the one thing I've not figured out yet how to price like that, though, is uh, due diligence because that can that can be a total mess sometimes, can't it? If you're mm. helping on a buy or sell side um, due diligence project. But, you know, it's... It's out there, just waiting for someone smarter than me to figure it out and then tell me, <laughs> Reza. <laughs> Absolutely. No worries, no worries. We'll chat about it on our next session. Cool. Okay, let's let's move on then, because I know there's always going to be questions around around marketing, around how to grow your practice. And then we had uh, one question come in here. What kind of marketing have you used to grow your firm? So I know a lot of the growth that you've had has been through repricing existing clients and doing that project work. But what else have you done in terms of the marketing side to grow the practice, to bring in new business, new clients to the firm over the last couple of years? So um, most of the clients um, that we have have always just referred other clients. Um, and a lot of the project work has been from existing clients as well. Um, that said, we have started marketing now over two years it hasn't been two years the first couple of years was just really repricing and, and internal stuff we've only really started marketing to getting new clients in since probably around march this year and in terms of what marketing we've used um it's really just been social media posts there's been uh there's so i will i've got someone doing it because I don't get how to do it, but I, guess I record a video and you know, they have a whole tactic around what days to release, what type of thing, whether it's a personal post, whether it's a talking head post, whether it's, oh, there goes my camera zooming in, um, whether it's a talking head post or whether it's just something showing you doing what you tell other people to do, or, you know, whatever, they, they have a whole calendar and I'm sure there's some clever psychology behind it. And that really is what the marketing is. So, uh, I guess coming back to the thing about whether it's a priority or not, I, I have to admit, I don't always get the things done that I need to, but I'm just essentially providing them with some content on a weekly or fortnightly basis. And they are putting it out at the times it needs to go out. But it's what that content is talking about that helps attract 
people. So the, the, the a lot of the content that I have put out was um, was related to stamp duty savings or to um, you know incorporations or EOTs or or whatever. So it was a lot more of those kinds of inquiries that were coming in, um, but they all also had a bit of a theme around property related to them. And so this is where then one of your pillars start coming in, Reza. And of the inquiries that we've had since, say, that started in March, probably around May, June, people started actually bothering to get in touch. Most of the inquiries now, 85% or more, have some property angle to them. They might have another business with the property. They might just do property. They might just be doing a specific development and they have a day job, whatever it is almost 85, 90% of them now have a property-related angle to them, which then allows you to get deeper and deeper into that sector. So the the that's really the only marketing strategy that we used initially. I have been appearing on a podcast once a month as well. Um, that has actually now started generating more uh, inquiries. People are listening to that and now getting in touch. Um, and we did actually start sponsoring that podcast as well. So that is, I suppose, another marketing tool and the reason i sponsored that particular podcast is because i know who the listenership is and that's the type of client that we want so one of the things really is that it's it the marketing is driven by the avatar of the kind of clients that we want to work with and because fortunate enough to be a running business and you know well you've said before as well you know accountants unless you screw up people will come back every year and given the fact we have clients to start with we're not taking everybody that comes through the door. So been doing it in batches and a certain number of intake, and that allows you to really then just pick the ones you want. And, uh, you know, that we've done we've done one cycle and this, we're doing a second one now, which was meant to go up until January, but four of the six places are gone already. Absolutely. And I know you have done a lot on, on property. So that's kind of you've you've kind of fallen into that niche, as it were, and you've because you've got your own interest into property and and that makes things easier. Right. Because when you get clear on that, who and the what, where and how to find your mm. ideal client becomes so much easier. So you got clear on the who in terms of, right, OK, we're going to go after or, you know, a property is our thing. We've done a few projects where we've added some real value. So then you. You go to the property meets and you talk to people around what you're doing. You then get invited on the podcast. You then do your own content. And suddenly you start to be seen as this property expert who's getting great results for, for property investors and developers yeah. with their own trading business. And then, therefore, when people see you as that authority, that you are you are different, you are your specialist, then you get those you know nice, juicy inquiries coming to you. So uh, it's great to see that, uh, you know, that's the avenue you've pursued and you haven't even pursued it, you know, in terms of that much depth yet. So there's lots more that you can do, but even the little that you have done is already working for you, uh, which shows that, you know, actually positioning yourself as an authority in a space, as a specialist and talking about some of the results that you're getting with a very specific type of client works. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's, it's also then fed through to the team. The team can see that these are the types of clients we're getting. And um, so all of the CPD and whatever else they're doing are, are mostly related around that topic and that um, that industry. And so then they're increasing their knowledge in that area. I'm going to also, you know, do some specific training to pass on my knowledge. So that would be all of about 15, 20 minutes of training. And that would be everything that I know. <laughs> but the uh the the other kind of uh the benefit 
of it is that, yeah, it's just the client becomes clear on what you are doing, prospects become clear on what it is that you are doing. The other thing with, I guess, your niche when you're picking it is that, again, I think Alex Hormozzi said, solve rich people problems, rich people pay more. And it's completely true, right? If you, if if And people that do property, who buy property, develop property, they will, by default, have probably more money than most people. So they're, you know, a bit more open to paying for the right advice at the right time. So I guess when you're picking a niche, and again, maybe it comes down to us being too noble as accountants, although <laughs> clearly it's coming across that I'm not, um, you, you've got to be realistic as well, because a lot of businesses, a lot of things out there, they just can't afford to pay the fee that they should be paying for the help they need. And the, you know, the, the earlier stage businesses always need more handholding, yet they are more sensitive to price. And then mature businesses, they don't necessarily need the handholding, but they're sensitive to price because they're on the, the way down or they're staying still. So the only way they can make more money is by reducing their expenses. And that's all you become in their eyes afterwards is an expense. So you pick your niche carefully in the right time of the cycle for that market or that business whatever it is absolutely yeah no spot on price is only an issue in the absence of value so if you can demonstrate that actually you can provide more value to a certain client than another accountant than a generalist accountant because you are a specialist in that area, that you have put out some value in advance, that you have demonstrated results with similar clients, then the perceived value of working with you will be greater than working with another accountant. And when the perceived value of working with you is greater, then the client is happy to pay a higher price to work with you because they will feel that you understand them better, that you'll be able to get them results better than another accountant. Cool. Okay. So we are short of time. Let's skip to some of the questions then. So if you've got any questions before we close this, then put them in the comments. Um, so we can I can put them to Tej before we finish. Let's ask a, a couple here. There is a question from a LinkedIn user. How many clients does the 1.4 million turnover represent? Tej. Um, so what have we got in total? Well, I can give you the number of clients. It's around 480, 500. But that doesn't really really mean much because one of our clients pays 90 grand a year for everything. So it's it's really, I suppose, you want to know is the average price per client, but then you've got to take out the advisory work. I don't have all those numbers to hand, but I think sometimes we get, this is the thing as well, like when I said about the laws of business don't apply to accountants because we tell everyone else that turnover is not the thing you should be watching yet somehow we get value just based on gross recurring fees. So, you know, you're just incentivized to stick a load of overheads into your business and just get a bloated business that's making really high turnover. So really, I think, yeah, we, we probably need to do a bit, bit better at listening to the laws of business ourselves. Absolutely. Good, good. Um, what's your, I think a better question is probably, what is your minimum fee and have you hmm. actively looked to in or have increased that over the years yes yeah so we do have a minimum fee now so when, when i'm talking to these prospects for these six slots every three months i tell them there is a minimum fee and the minimum fee for this slot is now higher than the last one because the last one was was sold out so um yeah, we do have a minimum fee, and you know, people is probably lower than what most other what some other firms have as well. But 
it's just having have that in there because it's it, it gives a hurdle because it stops the tire kickers from wasting your time and it also gives you that confidence that you know people are going to take a bit more of your time than you expect but it, it is it's okay if you've set yourself a a minimum fee and just yeah push it each time there's nothing nothing to say that it, it that you know that you need to keep it the same it's also that even if you have the same person come back in six months and they say oh your minimum fee was lower then it's like yeah well we're, we're better now so <laughs> exactly should have got in then right yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah it, it, it's no different though i guess you know when you have, you have uh, yeah prices of things go up prices of good things go up i know um yeah I, I hear constantly my wife regretting a purchase of a design handbag because um you know she didn't buy and now the price has gone up by two three hundred pounds these things happen you know good mm. things go up so if you're a good quality premium prestige firm you absolutely should be raising your price because that means that you want to actually deliver stellar value for your customers who are willing and prepared to pay for it yeah and i've even said to some people on calls as well i'm sure it has cost me business is that look we're not interested in being the cheapest accountant um we want to provide a good service and that means you have to charge a, a more than other people then yeah you'll definitely find someone that will charge you less but they'll give you a lot less as well mm, absolutely what is your minimum fee hedge someone's asking uh i won't put that out there today <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay, this LinkedIn user is, is, is asking the exact question that I was going to ask. You read my mm. mind, LinkedIn user. So, Tej, what is the, if you were to start your practice again or start, you know, back from, you haven't, you haven't been in practice for very long, have you? It's 2017. So, if you were to rewind the clock six years, what would you do differently? And I guess what is therefore the advice? for other firms who aren't quite at your lofty levels yet and what's, what's the best <laughs> advice that you can give them to help them along their journey to get to, you know, kind of where you are today. If I could go back to 2017, Reza, I'll come and seek you out earlier. <laughs> um, no, I think the thing that actually really, really separated where I was before from, from where we were, where we're going now is, um, is job descriptions. So I know we write a job description when we hire people, but we never look at it again after that, do we? So actually we started now doing the job description for the, each team member every year, because if your business has changed, they need to know what's expected of them at each point. And ultimately you can bring in clients, but unless your team are on board and know exactly what's required from them and are clear, the clients aren't gonna get what they want. They're gonna leave, you have to lower your minimum fee and you have to take on crappy clients again and all that stuff. So actually one of the things that I would do if I go right back is actually write clear job descriptions for everyone every year with metrics to measure them against. Because there's no point in getting this turnover if you're if you can't measure that you're actually delivering it as well. And you know, I know we all have practice management software, well, most people do. We didn't back then as well, actually. So I'd put that in at the start too. Um, <laughs> that would, you know, we have that, but you're not really measuring the, the 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 quality of what you're doing. So I would have that. And actually, at the same time, though, what I realised when I did do it was that I didn't have a job description. And you know, it's if you don't write a job description, you end up just picking up all the crap that nobody else wants to do. Sorry, I did end up swearing in the end. Um, you end up doing all the stuff that nobody else is going to do that's not on anybody else's job description. So one of the things I did beginning of last year was actually write a job description out for me, what it was and what I wanted it to be. And then it's funny how you sort of subconsciously just move towards the one that you actually want 
and just start saying no to the stuff that you don't want to do. So if I go back to 2017, that's what I would do. So basically, I think all I'm saying is, Reza, if I go back to 2017, I wouldn't have got my hands dirty like you can start. <laughs> Brilliant. So in terms of, yeah, get, I know you, you want to share your three S's that uh, you focus on <laughs> now in terms of, uh, you know, what, what, and I guess this, you know, this, this is good advice because quite often we get bogged down in working in a business, being that technician, being that manager instead of the maker. So actually really being conscious about doing only the stuff that we can do. Uh, but our LinkedIn post about this the other day and Ted has his own three S acronym so uh, share that with us Ted in terms of what your job description says uh, that yeah you do. I did listen to your podcast with the three things that someone should be doing and I, I think they I think they line up kind of I've just went with alliteration so I've got strategy and that that is obviously it's the big picture but it, it kind of gets within the, the tactics of the strategy as well so saying what processes we need and all that stuff so strategy sales and I couldn't think of another s that would do it but schmoozing so, you know, even if you just want to concentrate and leave the team to be dealing with what the clients need done, you still need to be able to dip in and out, talk to the clients, have that relationship level chat with them, a relationship level chat, you know, the, the bigger and particularly with the bigger clients um, for anybody, you know, people out there sometimes have fear of if I give my too much to my team, they might leave and they might take the, 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 the client with them. I think we kind of overestimate the desire of people to set up their own businesses. There's a lot of people that just don't want to do that. Um, but you still need to be able to have that conversation with them. So that's that. That's what the schmoozing is. It's the it's the maintaining that relationship with existing clients and being able to they can go and sort of have time to meet and network with new prospects as well. Mm, absolutely. Fantastic. No, I love that. Love those three S's. Brilliant. Okay. Well, we're, we're out of time. I'm going to thank my guest today. Thank you very much, Tej. Thank you to all of you that uh, attended live and that uh, joined in and asked questions. If you're watching this on a replay, then feel free to add a question in the comments below and tag either myself or Tej. And hopefully if we're around, we will come back to you. But otherwise, hope you've had value from today. Thank you very much, Tej, and I'll catch up with you on the next session. Take care. Have a good rest of the day, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. Yeah, bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to spend more time together, get access to me personally for your questions, access to resources and training that will help you to shortcut your progress together with being part of an incredible community of accountants or helping each other, then come and join the pack, the Profitable Accountants Community. There's a hundred plus accountants that I mentor and they help each other to get results faster than trying to do it alone. Go to reshooter.com forward slash mentoring to learn more or message me directly on LinkedIn. Take care.